Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the 343 Podcast, where we work tirelessly to elevate the level of discourse and practitionership here in American soccer. I am joined today by Kirk Kinsey, soccer coach, soccer parent, doing the remarkable within the confines of American soccer, within what is deemed, quote unquote, rec soccer of all places, and even more specific, AYSO the American Youth Soccer Organization. All right, all right. So why on earth would 343 be talking about AYSO? I mean, doesn't 343 represent the top end of the game? Doesn't it work with professional soccer players, top pro clubs overseas, MLS, the USL, etc., etc.? Doesn't it work on developing professional footballers? Doesn't it work on helping the power brokers in the U.S. move towards a gold standard? Well, yeah, yes to all of that, and much more. But what is sometimes missed is the underlying principle upon which all those things rest, specifically the pursuit of excellence and the remarkable. And that's something that can exist just about anywhere. Both are worthy things, but there's a notable distinction. For instance, you can certainly, quote-unquote, pursue excellence as a coach in AYSO. It's just that excellence doesn't mean developing a professional player within the confines of AYSO. I think we all know that. But instead, what is meant is that someone can set atypical high standards for the level they find themselves coaching at and asymptotically get there with their team or individual players. That would be the pursuit of excellence, which is great. But remarkable? That is another level. Remarkable would be somehow to break the confines, the boundaries, the presumed rules that AYSO establishes and enter a whole new world of possibilities. Then you pursue excellence within that new space that you've created for yourself. So you see, something like that totally fits into what 343 is about. And that is the case you'll hear about with Kirk. Honestly, guys, it's one of my favorite episodes to date. Please do yourself the favor and listen to this one from start to finish. I hope you enjoy and are inspired to do the same wherever you happen to be. And also, you're in luck. If you're a coach or a parent of a player, we've also codified and made available the remarkable work of a coach who trained and shepherded many, many players from the age of nine all the way to graduating them to being professionals. The products that show you how this was done is what sponsors this episode. So please, take a moment to hear how you can get aboard a proven path, a legitimately proven path, not something copied or synthesized from elsewhere, or worse even. No, but rather a first-hand account and curriculum directly from the source, the practitioners themselves. Then we'll jump into Kirk's story. Here we go. Have you ever wondered why so many professional soccer players had a parent who was also a pro? Yes, yes. One can cite nepotism and the network that parent must also have. No question that's part of it. No question. But the kid also had to be at least good enough to a certain base level. And that's also where a former pro or an exceptional mentor gives the kid an unfair advantage. Why? Well, because they know what it takes and what specific things are important when it comes to the technical, tactical, physical, and also critically important mental side of the equation. Meanwhile, 
Parents who don't have that background are stuck trying to navigate a complex system they aren't experts in, and also trying to navigate a flood of never-ending information online, most of which, by the way, is really bad information and really bad advice. Next thing you know, years and years have gone by of you investing countless hours trying to figure out what's actually going on and how to best guide your kid. And by the time you figured out some important things, it's too late. Your kid is already pretty much done with soccer or too far behind to catch up. We've seen it happen to hundreds of players we've coached from eight years of age up to and including current professionals. Parents, you have a huge influence over whether your kid, quote unquote, fulfills their potential or not. That's why we developed the 343 Master Class for you, the parents. The goal is to give you tools in one place so that you can substantially and relatively quickly close the gap with those parents who happen to have a lifetime of professional experience within this sport. Tools that help you far better discern truth, and forgive the French, from bullshit in the player development ecosystem. And tools that enable you to actually train your own kid as well, if you'd like to do that. Please, do your kids a favor. All it takes is going to 343masterclass.com, getting on the email list, and we'll send you enrollment information. Now, for all you coaches out there, you can join over 1,000 of your colleagues by getting aboard the 343 Coaching Education Program. You can find both free and premium options for you at 343coaching.com. Lastly, if you're coaching 7v7, we've got you covered there as well. Go to 7v7coaching.com. Critically important, these solutions for coaches, for parents, for players, are offered from people who have actually done the work and have an unprecedented track record in the United States. All right, let's get into today's episode. It's been a rough morning. I don't know if, you, if you're if you aware that I also run an agency that represents pro players. Yeah, um, yeah. So just fires erupted this morning and it's not a glamorous job at all. I would not, I would not wish this on anybody if I can say it that way. Like people have the wrong impression of glamour. Ooh, you're an agent to like pro athletes or something. It's like, hey, well. Just clean up duty all the time, I bet. Totally. And 1% of the time, 1%, you might be in a VIP box in a stadium. You might might be, you know, having a nice dinner with some executives and players. That's one out of a hundred times. So anyways, I really, really appreciate you allowing me that flexibility, dude. Yeah, no. So I, I kind of have a weird job too. I sell implants or spine surgery mm. and Mondays are like the one day that I'm not in the OR. So it's fairly easy for me to block off time on Mondays. Awesome. That's, that's so, wow, out of left field. I was not expecting that. I didn't even know it existed before I interviewed for the position, to be honest. I had no idea that people did this. So it's, yeah, it's a, it's a bizarre industry. So talk to me, Kirk. It sounds like you're having some field success, which is really exciting. We're getting there. There's still a long way to go. And you and I exchanged a couple emails about getting it to the point where it's club wide and starting to see a couple of a couple of coaches come into their own as well. So as they start to implement things and start to just buy in a little bit more, they're starting to have more success, which is for me, the real mark, like doing it with your own teams is one thing, but then once you can help other people do the same, that's a new level of success. Totally agreed. Are you guys doing some 7v7 also 9v9 small sided? Yeah. So my first group was in 2019. I took over a team of 2010 boys. 
And so now they're U13s. But as that team had more success, it was like everybody's got a sibling and everybody wants to play. And so we're all the way down to U9s. We have players in what we call our academy that are below that. But yeah, so I mean, there's coaches at all levels of the game at this point. But yours is kind of like the flagship team, right? The one that kind of showed the way in a sense? It was the first one. Yeah, the first one that made waves. So I have the 2010 boys and the 2012 boys. The 2012s are actually the true killers. They're the ones that we kind of recruited off the back of my 2010 boys, which were all just rec players. They had been rejected by the other club in town. And once we had success with them, it was like, oh, now people want to get in on this. And so we were able to recruit a new level of player for the 2012 boys. And they're the ones that are just they are so fun to watch put these principles in play because they executed it at a different level. Awesome. Where are you located? Uh, Flagstaff, Arizona. Got you. Got you. So I don't know. It's been a while since I've been in the youth scene, especially, you know, around the country outside of me going to like youth national team stuff or whatever, which, which is the biggest club out there in Arizona? I mean, right now the big clubs are Phoenix Rising, RSL, both Phoenix and South RSL. South is in Tucson. And now actually surf, Phoenix surf, Phoenix and Tucson surf are, are coming in and having a bunch of clubs merge as well. So independent clubs are kind of getting kicked to the curb. Got it. It's kind of like join the, the empire, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's like, there's an arsenal club down in Phoenix. It's probably like the one that everybody looks at as like the sexiest one, mm. I would say, but in name. Yeah. Yeah. CCV stars is another one. They're like, uh, like the Christchurch of the Valley. They have a big athletics program. Tim Tebow is involved with it somehow. I don't know. But they have some really good teams as well. Got you. So you sent me a message, an email about, hey, let's have a chat. Let's see how potentially you can share, I'm presuming, some of your story and maybe it'll help others in similar situations. Yeah. What did you have in mind there? What are you thinking? So Flagstaff is a smaller town. There's about 10,000 kids in the public schools here. So it's not like a big city where people are choosing. We've had one club in town for a long time and they're fine. It wasn't for me and my kids. I didn't see the kind of development that I wanted in their players. And I wanted something different. Found a, an AYSO affiliated program. And once everybody's finished, like rolling their eyes back to the front of their head after hearing that, um, got involved with it. And I didn't really know what I was doing to be honest. Like my kid was nine. I wanted a place for him to play. And I just, I figured I had to do it myself. And I felt really overwhelmed. They gave me a team of U10 boys and I just, I had no idea what I was doing. Mm -hmm. So it was like every license, every program I could find, I just went for it. And I only had this one team and that was really all that existed was just this kind of like team that would go to tournaments sometimes, but we could keep it low cost because AYSO subsidized it, our local AYSO region. And then eventually stumbled onto 343 and listened to guys like the two, the two guys that I think influenced me the most from your show, Gary, was the interview with Joe Campos and with John Kokoris. And those guys like blew my mind in terms of like what was possible with little kids. And to hear Joe talk about like, I just built my own thing. And I just said, you know, just I'm done with the system. I'm going to do my own thing. And so that's what we've done here is we took that team of boys. We recruited 20 kids. We're just like, let's just get 20 kids and we'll just stay in town. We'll play ourselves so we don't have to travel. We're two hours from Phoenix. So league play with a bunch of brand new kids is never going to work traveling two hours, you know, every Saturday. So we just started scrimmaging ourselves. And when they were ready, we put them in a couple of tournaments and it took a long time, but eventually we got to the point where it was like, we were traveling with two squads to tournaments. And then it just kind of snowballed more and more kids wanted to play. And again, it's a unique setup with AYSO and mostly 
it depends on your region, like who is on the board. Our board lets us operate, however. So at this point, we just consider ourselves like a regular club. We're licensed with the state association here in, in Arizona, and we play in whatever competition we feel we need to. So it's again, it helps us subsidize the cost. We charge $350 a year for kids to play. And then the only other limiting factor is if we can find volunteers that are not completely egomaniacal and can just put the system in place. That's awesome. It's, it's, I think this is a unique scenario. Are you aware of other situations where AYSO, because I have a super antiquated notion. I, I bet it's not that antiquated, to be honest. I bet it's pretty accurate. Yeah. But okay. So that's why I'm surprised though, when you mentioned, yeah, they let you kind of operate as you see fit for the most part, and you're able to basically behave like a club team, or as they say, in many parts of the country, a travel team. So did you have to like lobby? Was there some sort of friction there? Was it smooth sailing when you said, Hey, we're going to do this or that? Or did you not even speak to them and you just did it? Uh, so it depends on which organization. The hardest thing was actually lobbying the state association to let us join. And then it was kind of playing two sides against each other, to be honest. Again, the region here, so AYSO national is one thing. Then you have a state association. Then you have a region, which is like, for us, it's Flagstaff and Williams and the Grand Canyon. And those, they're, they're my friends. So it was like, hey, I have this idea. Let's do this. Let's implement this style of play. Let's start to function like a real club because we have players that play in our recreational leagues and then they go across town to play club and we just lose them. And so they were kind of bought in from the beginning. They're mostly just, you know, eager volunteers that want to let kids play the game. But when it came time to lobby the state association, so ASA and get carded under them, that was the bigger hurdle. And that took some time meeting with their CEO and their board. The other club in town didn't want us to join and they, they have a director that sits on their board. So that took some time as well to persuade her and let her know that, you know, don't feel threatened. Like we just want something else here in town. Just let us play. But other than that, I mean, AYSO National has a program. That, so technically we are an AYSO extra program. That's what it looks like from the AYSO side. If you look at us from the Arizona Soccer Association, we look like Flagstaff Revolution. Got it. And was just because, again, I'm a little slow here. When you say the state association, you're talking about AYSO, or are you talking about like joining? Like I'm a, talking a, about like the U.S. soccer youth. It's not yeah. U.S. soccer yep. competitive circuit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got you. Got it. Got it. Okay, so they were the ones kind of like raising an eyebrow. Wait, hmm, you guys are like part of AYSO. Like we don't do that here. Yeah, right. And to be fair, a lot of them were just like, mm. we're pretty sure you can't do that. And I was just like, I'm pretty sure that nobody's stopping me from doing it. So it was just a matter of like helping them understand that we wanted to do it and that. Nobody was going to come yell at them. And now, you know, we're five years into this. Nobody's yelled at us yet. So uh, that's awesome, crossed, dude. But <laughs> that's so awesome. So far, so, so good. So are there maybe a little bit on the structure? Are there two circuits? Are, do you compete in the AYSO organization, uh, whatever the competition looks like there? And then during the quote unquote off season, you're into club or do they overlap? Like, what does that look like? So we really don't compete in any okay. AYSO competitions. And I think most of those are kind of gone anyway. I mean, like, I have very little to do. I sit on our regional board, but I have little to do with AYSO as an organization. We help as much as we can to make the local rec leagues run wells, because that's, again, what is kind of the cash cow and what funds our program. But we don't, you know, we just play in the open league down in Phoenix for our older teams. Again, I stole this from Joe Campos. I like, I'm, I'm just a straight up thief. And 
Joe, I heard Joe say like U12 and below is all academy. And then U13, we start cutting. And I was like, that's what we're doing. Um, so U12s, we just, we mostly play internal scrimmages here in town against ourselves because the other club won't talk to us. And then we'll play in a three or four tournaments a year to, just to get them external competition. And then once we go U13, we start making cuts and we put them in the league down in Phoenix. No, that's brilliant, dude. I hope a good number of people listen to this and take it to heart, especially those who are in decision-making roles, because I mean, they could have just shut this down. So a lot of props to whoever had that decision-making authority at the state association to say, all right, let's roll with it. Because I think, you know, we need to open more doors instead of keeping them closed. And there's no reason not to open them. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Everybody, I understand everybody's kind of protecting their own turf and it's out of fear, usually, the whole gatekeeping. It's just, guys, what's there to fear? You know, just let it happen. And at the end of the day, it's a service. We're here to serve those people who are put in our charge. So I don't know. I just felt compelled to say something right. about whoever gave the thumbs up and allowed you to explore this. Yeah. I mean, I was thrilled when we were able to kind of break through and you know, speaking with them. And once we got to the point where it's like, look, nobody's going to come after you kind of the same mentality. Like we just want kids to be able to play. We want them to have a spot where they can compete at a higher level. Cause we can continue to play, you know, intra club scrimmages here in town, but like that's limited, right? These kids have to see different competition, have to see different styles. They have to see, they have to go down and compete against kids that are really hungry and they got to get beat up. And that's an important part of our development at this point is like just going down there to see what true hungry kids look like on the field. And so once we got through, once we got that message through to them, they were like, yeah, sounds good. Let's do it. I think they were also happy to have us start paying them registration fees. So uh, I'm sure that had, I'm sure that had something to do with it, but it's not all cynical. Question for you on a personal level, because you said, hey, we need to have these kids compete. We need to have them see what that's like. Oh, and obviously all of this is to improve them. Um, I think many of us are driven by different things and all well-intentioned. Obviously, if you've gotten to know us, Brian, myself a little bit, we've always kind of been driven to try to develop professional soccer players. Yeah. Um, that's kind of like our impetus, but yeah. that doesn't have to be everybody's goal or aim because everybody is operating in a different sort of environment and with different objectives. Um, your kids, for instance, who knows what the, you know, the sky's the limit, I'm sure. Uh, but it's a little bit different, right? So I'm curious as to what compelled you yeah. to push the envelope. Yes. You know, cause some people are like, Oh, I'm just a coach. I'm going to do the best I can and not really go through the headaches that I'm sure that you went through. Yeah. Yeah. Going through, I would say, um, I don't know. I think there's a couple different answers there. I'm sure if I sat on a therapist <laughs> couch for a while, they, you know, uncover. I, I, I grew up in Los Angeles. Um, and my family could not afford to have me play club soccer. And when all my friends about 10, 11, 12 left to play club and weren't playing on my little rec teams anymore, I was left behind both technically and kind of, they just excelled at such a pace that I couldn't keep up with anymore and hung around a couple of years playing high school with them just as like the hustle guy, right? The most American attribute ever, right? Uh, but that was it, a couple of years and, I, and that was it. And it was very apparent that I just, I just didn't have it. And once I got to a position where I had some resources that I could put into my own kids uh, and an extra time, I wanted to provide 
something for them and their friends. I didn't want them to, you know, especially their friends to be left alone just because they couldn't afford club dues or they couldn't afford, you know, whatever program they're, the other club Got in town is doing. That makes a ton of sense. We all have a little bit of childhood trauma, don't we? Because <laughs> I mean, my, if you'll allow yeah. me, my story is is similar in a sense that, you know, there's a chip on my shoulder, I believe, you know, it's hard to self-analyze one's being the way that they are. But aside from growing up in the Argentine culture, which is highly, highly critical, internal in the family unit, yeah. we're all critical with each other. The greater family, uh, extended family is also very critical of each other. The people are critical over every everything. And I'm not just talking football, I'm just talking generally speaking, you know, mm. so yeah. I see a lot of that reflected in who I am now. And I also had an issue, you know, playing growing up that's similar to yours in the sense that when I first started playing club, you know, my first club coach was Louis Balboa. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Marcelo Balboa, right? U.S. national team player, all that. And, you know, the team manager came over. I just had a conversation about this. The team manager came over to my parents after a match one day saying, okay, so your dues are, you know, $1,200 or something like that. And this was 30 years ago. Okay. So imagine $1,200 back then what that was. And my parents like, oh, what are you talking about? Right. Because they had never paid ever, you know, for, for soccer and they weren't about to start paying. And I just recorded an episode with a player of ours, uh, Taylor Davila, which will release probably this week. And this story came up there also. So that so I was out of club soccer. Like, nope, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Gary. I know you want that, but it's just yeah. it's not yeah. happening. It's impossible. So there's that. And then when I went to uh, college, I tried to walk on to uh, my university, which was a Division One uh, soccer program, and I didn't make it. You know, they cut me. So that's another little slap in the face. And you know, truth be told, I'm looking at myself back then. Okay, I thought I was good enough. Maybe not the case, but you know, in the moment. It stings and it sits with you. Not to mention that the style of mm -hmm. play was the traditional prototypical run, 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 long ball sort of thing and not at all possession-based, not at all like Argentina plays or Brazil plays or Europe plays. And so all of these things I'm sure compounded to the human that I am now. <laughs> and and it, yeah. that's the yeah. fuel that drives all the, the headaches and the torture and eating glass that I do on a weekly yeah. or a daily basis even. So I guess it's more of a therapy session for me why I asked you that question, but I am curious. I am in, I am sincerely curious <laughs> what drives yeah. you and what drives other people. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'd say that's, you know, that's like part of mm -hmm. it. That's like the original impetus is like, I want kids to play, but it's not all alt altruistic, right? So when I finished my undergrad, I went into the Marine Corps and that kind of instilled this insatiable need to like fulfill my duty, whatever that is, right? This insatiable need to be excellent. So like when I was made a coach, it was like I, I the greatest fear that I had was looking like an idiot. And like I I it was just this it, not fear, but uh this worry, this anxiety that I had that I wasn't that I didn't know what I was doing. And so that's where it came like all right, I have to get really good at this. And I'm still not like, I'm, that's not what I'm saying here, but I have to find somebody again to steal from. I got, I have to find stuff to do with these kids so that I actually deliver on this idea that like we can charge people a low cost and still turn them into proper footballers. And so I think like there is this personal side where it's like, I, I hate being wrong. I hate fail. I hate failure. I hate, you know, I, I can't stand that. So that's where like the, the drive to stay up late studying or whatever it is comes from. 
Got you. Another one for you, a classic one. And I'd like to know how you handle it if if it surfaces. Friction with parents. Yeah, you have all these <laughs> ideas. You want to yeah, implement these yeah. sorts of things. It requires a certain level of commitment. Uh, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't work. And so there's all these little points of tension that surface. Playing time, all that sort of stuff. How, how, what's that been like? I think this is actually where the Marine Corps helped just dealing with like people that expect so many different things of you all the time, having to deal with like really domineering commanders and also unmotivated troops that are in your charge. So it's like all these little interpersonal relationships are difficult. And from my standpoint, because we're all volunteer at our club, it's the biggest thing from coaches. I need volunteers that are one, motivated to learn and two, that can also learn to be a leader because this stuff does, does weigh on you all the time. And it's messy all the time. You know, parents want more playing time for their kid and their kid is just not ready for whatever reason. And so it's trying to help them see the bigger picture of where, what the team is trying to accomplish and that we're not just like leaving your kid out in the wilderness. We're going to try and bring him or her along as best as possible. But for the good of the team, we have to do, you know, he or she's going to have to sit a little bit more at the beginning. At the beginning, we ran into some problems. We lost a couple of players last year. And this is again, it because I hate failure. Like this is something I've sweated over the last 18 months uh, since they left was they didn't want their kids playing with uh, quote unquote, their words, not mine for any, anybody in our club that's listening uh, is they didn't want their kids playing with scrubs anymore. Mm. And they wanted to go to a bigger, better club. And that's something that I respect. Like I've told people from the beginning, like, Hey, we're an entry level club until further notice, right? Until, until we can grow some kids in the system and do something else. We're an entry level club and kids are going to leave. But that was one where we, we took a really hard loss in a tournament in a final last year. I mean, we just got scorched and I had parents texting me the next day, like, what do we have to do to get our kids to the next level? And I was like, Hey, you just got to be patient. You got to be patient. And they didn't like that message and they, they quit within about three or four weeks. And that was when the scrub conversation happened. And it was basically just an invitation like, look, this is where we're at. So if it's not good enough for you, I'm sorry, but I'm not just going to kick these kids to the curb because you want to win a tournament next week. Right. It's just not going to happen. So it's different for, for each situation, which makes it tough to deal with, uh, to be honest, because it's, there's, no, there's no one size fits all answer to any of these conversations. It's just like personal relationships that you have to continue to cultivate over time. Yeah, I've said it many times. I'm going to keep saying it. Coaches are so underappreciated. And again, to remind everybody, I'm actually not a coach. I have coached, but that was a long time ago. And with respect to Brian, I was basically just a helper. I'm an assistant coach. I am not the guy, right? And so I'm just looking at the workload that not only he put in and puts in, but all of his coaching colleagues and all so many of my friends who actually are coaches so underappreciated. I think we have to do a better job of, I mean, not you, right? I don't know, myself, the quote unquote. Oh, I got to, I got to be better, Gary. I'll be the first to tell you. I, it's, it's, I'm it, not there. No, but it's, but it's unbelievable the amount of work that goes into it and the agonizing, you know, over long nights and mornings and then receiving text messages from parents or emails and it's just a nonstop 24 seven thing and you're not paid in the volunteer side of the equation. And, and even if you're not a volunteer and you are getting some sort of salary, it's not enough here in Southern California, where probably the coaches get paid 
very well relative to the rest of the country, you're only making maybe a thousand bucks a month for a team. You know, you're not making something that you can live off of. You have to have a side job and even full-time coaches who, for whatever reason, were able to graduate to the level where they can make a living off of coaching. You're making 50K, 60K. So you're barely sustaining yourself and it is more than a full-time job. It truly is. And it's not just coaching on the sidelines and on the field. You have to be a psychologist. You have to manage people of all walks of life who have different hot buttons. And it's unbelievable the work that you guys do. I think uh, once tweeted out, you know, coaches aren't just coaches. They are similar to that psychologist. They're administrators. They're, they're bus drivers. They're, you know, whatever. And it was like a list of a dozen things. And he was like, what else am I missing? And below that tweet was just thousands of replies with all these other things that he had left off. Just be like, uh, coaches are, are busy. And to your point about coaches actually making a living, I'm lucky that I don't have to make a living from it. And I can just do this with my kids. But I have a friend who coaches for the team across town as well. But he coaches, I think, three teams for them and two high school teams. Like that's how he's able to live as a coach. He's got five or six teams and I have two and I'm driving. It's driving me up the wall half the time, you know, Uh, so I can't imagine five or six. And then two of those are schools that require you to do all sorts of academic work. And one is a different club that, you know, it's just, man, at least mine are in the same club with my own kids. No, it's incredible. And it's just a sensitive subject for me because I'm seeing the conversations that occur many times in the media and the fan base and people who are understandably upset at the youth soccer structure in our country, but they kind of lambast coaches like, oh, they just care about the money or they're just making all this money off of kids. It's like not right, you know, and club fees are this and that kind of like it's an evil thing to get paid for coaching soccer. And I'm like, guys, please understand what these guys are are going through on a daily basis. And so to hear your story of a volunteer-based club, being able to do what you guys have accomplished, you know, that's why obviously I took up a lot of interest in your story. And I wanted to have this conversation with you. How many, how many coaches are there at the Flagstaff club? Uh, So we have, we have 13 teams. Most of those have at least two coaches. Some have three, uh, you know, head coach and two assistants. We've tried to do like a, all the head coaches have access to the three, four, three coaching materials as well to kind of like, Hey, you guys are the one, you're the leaders on the team. You guys have to go out there and proselyte for lack of a better term. Um, You're the ones that have to do this. And then the assistants come on and they kind of, we kind of use them as deputies. And then after a couple of years, we'll offer them like, Hey, do you want to take a team of your own? We tried to grow our coaches at the same pace we're growing teams so that it's not just somebody completely overwhelmed in their first year. So that's, I mean, that's again, the toughest part. I always tell people, you know, so I'm the director of the club. I always tell everybody in the club, like we're only limited by the number of volunteers we have and our own imaginations. So if you can volunteer and do a good job, like the sky's the limit for your team. Um, because you just have to show up and you have to teach them the right things and the kids will figure it out and put it together. Um, that's a long-winded answer to how many coaches are in your club. Sorry. You know, I, I'm curious because you, you said that you have several teams operating or doing the same things and they're all kind of coming along. And, yeah. And my email back to you was like, wow, that's amazing because getting alignment within a traditional club so that the whole club has the same sort of philosophy and are, are rowing in the same direction is extremely difficult we've we we have firsthand knowledge of that ourselves and obviously you know from all our members or a good proportion of our members i get that all the time 
Gary, any advice? Yeah. How yeah. do I align the club? How do I align my four or five other coaches? And it could be from a DOC, a technical director, a club president, or just an ambitious club coach within their structure trying to bring guys, you know, in the same direction. It's just ooh, super yeah. challenging. So I'm curious about your, your coaches profiles themselves. One is their volunteers too. I imagine that their parents, that, that their kid is also playing on the team and that's why they're doing it. And, and they might be young and energetic. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I think part of it is the fact that they're volunteers and that similar to me at the beginning, it was like, I don't know what I'm doing. So just teach me, right? Somebody, somebody hold my hand through this. And so we do, you know, we have a lot of coach trainings, but if you look at the, if you just go to a youth soccer game or go to a training session, right? And you look out on the sidelines, there's going to be plenty of parents there sitting in the bleachers just watching, right? And to me at a club like mine, it's like, that's just a bunch of untapped man hours that I can go grab, right? And a lot of times, you know, they have different things that they're good at. Coaching might not be for them, but they might, there might be a staff role that can take something off of my plate so I can get back to what I love, which is the technical side. I, I just want to be with coaches and, and training the players. So I think using volunteers and realizing that a lot of people are eager to help, they just don't know how, has really helped. You do have to stay up on top of them and you have to make sure that they're buying in. But for the most part, we don't have too many people that are, are set completely in their ways. We have a couple parents who played in college and that's like a, that's a, great level of experience for us because most of us didn't. And that's like, that's an accusation that gets lobbied at us a lot or um, lobbed at us, as I should say, from across town is, you know, they're not professional coaches. I remember one time I read it on their website that we don't have professional coaches and that's why you should go join there. And I, I immediately called the regional commissioner and I was like, I'm about to go scorched earth just so you know, like it's <laughs> going to be a busy three months for everybody. And that's when it was like all of our coaches, everybody's going to get a, you know, the U.S. soccer rubber stamp nonsense license as well. Um, we're going to give them all access to all these materials. We're going to order a bunch of books for them all to read because, again, that goes back to me. Like, I don't want to be perceived as a failure. I don't want to be perceived as something less than just because you don't pay me $500 a year to coach a U10 boys team. But again, again, because we're not paying people and they're just kind of like sitting on the sidelines and, hey, do you want to get in on this? People typically show up and they're ready to learn. They're ready to implement what we ask. Got it. Got it. Any other thoughts that you might have, man, to uh, anything at all, actually? I think it's probably that point that you got to get your ego out of the way and just, again, be the best thief you can be. <laughs> if there's somebody having success, just steal it, copy it, use it. What I've found with the best coaches is, is that they're more than willing to to share their ideas and their experiences with you. And it's enabled me to, to do something with my boys that I didn't think was previously possible. And again, I'm like, my, my teams aren't perfect. We're again, just an entry level club and we'll see where we're going from here. But man, I really think the ego is what gets in everybody's way. You know, I have this excellent drill that does this thing and it's going to train these kids to be incredible. And I think a lot of people miss the point by by focusing on themselves like that. Yeah, if you'll allow me, I've seen what I believe to be one of the biggest mistakes coaches make is trying to invent something themselves uh, on the training grounds and on the field when when they haven't really gotten a high degree of competency in the foundation and the principles of the sport. Um, and maybe they think they have got those things and then they feel like they can go off roading 
and invent new things or think that they uh, they get and they understand it. That's always the, not always, but I see it so many times, man. And I think part of it is, as you say, the ego, right? Instead of saying, okay, you know what? Let me put that aside. Who out there has had success? If they're coaching youth boys, whatever the case, who's had success? What did they do? All right, great. I'm going to copy and paste or try to understand their methodology and execute it until I feel I have a super command of it. And then once you reach a certain level, then I advocate, okay, now if you want to go off-roading here or there and think you have ideas of your own and be innovative, great. But come on, guys, like you're not going to solve an unsolved math problem or physics problem because I come from that world, right? If you haven't even learned arithmetic, algebra, calculus, all, all the foundational things. How in the world are you going to attack this problem? You don't even know how to walk yet. Yeah. You know, so you wrote some, I, it was a blog post, I think at the website a while, like, again, I came across it at the very beginning and there was a line in there about, um, how are you going to teach kids to run an offside trap or play out of a double pivot if they can't even master like a four V one Rondo or something like that. And that hit me like, like a, a freight train, like, yeah. man, why are we focusing on all these crazy things? And to, I mean, that brings up another thing too, is at the beginning, parents and players, they're not going to like it. Yeah. Yeah. They're correct. not like putting them in a four V zero Rondo and like forcing them and giving them feedback all the time. Like it's across your body. It's got to be across your body. Please just take it across your body. Mm. Quit using the wrong foot. And everybody's fatigued. And the parents are like, what is this nonsense? And it takes a while, especially for like new players. It takes some time and we have players come out all the time and they come to a few training sessions and then they're like, this isn't for me. It's like, fine, it's not for you, whatever. But it once you finally see a team start to put it together, then it's like now the parents buy in more. Yeah. But at the beginning, you have to you have to show them some charisma and let them see you have to like show them glimpses of what it's going to look like in the future as well. And, and you have to be a good salesman to let them know it's coming. It's going to take some time, but it's coming. I had a parent not too long ago. They're a basketball family. He's a friend of my, I have a son who's a 2014. This is his buddy that joined the club for the first time this year. And he went to his niece's game down in Phoenix a couple, a couple months ago. And he came and found me at work. He works in the operating room as I do. And he was like, I was down at this tournament and everybody was just playing kick and chase. And I wanted to just start screaming on the sidelines. I was like, that's a parent I've got to. That's, that's a win right there. He was like mad that they weren't, he's like, I don't, these are like 15, 16 year old girls. He's like, how did, how have they gone so long without learning how to pass? I was like, Welcome to U.S. Youth Soccer, my friends. Like this is this is the fight we're up against. But anyway, again, a, another long, long-winded interjection. There. For, no, no, please, because once you see it, there's no going back. It's just once you see it, and once you get it, like you can't, you can't put the genie back in the bottle anymore. Yeah, yeah. it's that's why it's so frustrating at times. Because you know, in my own way, I'm trying to help, and then I I just see so many things that are written. And parents I know read these things online and they follow certain people in, in social media yeah. where they're, where they're talking about, oh, well, I don't know, maybe people read Pep's book or Mourinho's book or Klopp's book, or they get some sort of analysis from some sort of pundit on gag and press and counter pressing and all this stuff. And they have, they get all of these, this jargon in their head. Oh, this is the good stuff. This is the good stuff for changing system of play or having my right back, you know, pinch in to the mid central midfield when we're in possession, they have all these things swirling around. I think the and current if, word is verticality. Yeah, that's, ver the, that's the big one right now. Whatever <laughs> the fuck it is or yeah, 
bounce yeah. passes yeah. your teammate or something. It's fucking yeah. the stupidest shit ever. <laughs> it's but it's so frustrating, man, because then that is what we're up against here. And and ultimately, yeah. Yeah. if I want to put my oh, it's all about the kids hat on. If I want to put that hat on, then the ultimate ones who suffer are, are the kids who are under the charges of these clubs, these organizations, yeah. these coaches, and frankly, these parents who have been educated in quotes by, by this sort of stuff. So I don't know, you, you can sense it in my voice, right? And like, oh, yeah, no, absolutely. I think, I think uh, w- one of the other cliches that gets thrown around in us youth soccer, and some people may go for this, but it's like nails on a chalkboard to me. It, you can sense the frustration and the the rudderlessness that people have when every club out there says the game is the greatest teacher. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, what? It, no, great teachers are great teachers. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, yeah. Like, you, um, is it is it great for kids to go out and play games on their own? Absolutely. Like that's another that's another blog post of yours that I share all the time is the five components of player development. Yeah, the importance of pickup. But like, man. Kids aren't going to learn to all the advanced stuff just by going out on the playground at recess. It, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. But. Kirk, man, if you don't mind, it's been a pleasure, dude. Any parting Absolutely. remarks, any parting remarks whatsoever to, to the audience, anything at all. Uh, if people are interested in what we're doing, you can find the website flagstaffrevolution.org. It's not super impressive. I built it myself in a weekend, but you, you can connect with me there. You can connect with me on Twitter at Kirk Kinsey. If you are a parent who wants to do something similar, please don't hesitate to reach out uh, because they, like you can, you can make a, a place for your kids to develop the proper way. Um, it's going to take some elbow grease and some, and some hard work on your part, but you can do it. And I'm whatever, whatever resources I have available to me are yours. So please don't hesitate. Awesome, man. And you've done it. In the process of doing it. In the process of doing it, yes. Awesome, Kirk. Well, that's it for today, guys. Thank you for listening. A reminder for coaches, you can get both the free and premium coaching programs at 343coaching.com. Don't let anyone tell you your teams can't win by playing dominant possession-based football while also developing individual players to the highest levels. Nonsense. We've proved it at every single level and so have hundreds of serious member coaches across the country. Now that we've moved on to the pro level, we're delivering everything we've learned in the program. Don't wait and continue delaying getting on a proven path. And parents, 343masterclass.com is where you want to go to get a working compass for navigating the American soccer landscape with your player. It's pretty bad out there, but let our experience guide you. Lastly, if you're coaching 7v7, We've got you covered there as well. Go to 7v7coaching.com. Until next time, cheers, everyone, and keep building.